going to be in Matthew chapter 3 today. And as you're turning there, let me pray. Dear God, thank you for this giving us this time to gather together as a body of believers. And whether we're here or we're online worshiping you. And thank you for giving us the chance to praise you for the things you've done, the blessings you've shown us. And uh, just the testimony of people in the past, as that song confidence says, to know that we can follow you too. Lord, I pray now that as we look at Matthew chapter 3, the beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth, Lord, that you would uh, give us the words, speak to us, show us what this passage would have for each of us as individuals to do. And Lord, I pray that you would help us be the people you call us to be and follow you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So have you ever been warned not to do something, and you did it anyways, and the warning came completely true? That happened to me uh, when I was younger. My brother and I, we were just sitting at my grandparents' house, watching TV. I was probably about seven or eight years old. And we were bored, to be honest. So we were scanning through the channels, and we came across this old black and white TV show. And it fascinated us because it had weird stories, bizarre stories, bizarre characters, sometimes scary stories going on. We didn't know what this black and white TV show was like. And about that time, my dad walked through my grandparents' living room. And we stopped him. He said, Dad, come over here. What is this TV show? He said, well, that's the, called The Twilight Zone. It's an old TV, black and white TV show. They're having a marathon today. We're like, cool, we'll watch that. My dad said, no, I don't want you to watch that. Y'all watch something else today. I don't want you to watch The Twilight Zone. We said, well, why? He said, because if you watch that, then you're going to be staying up all night because of nightmares. And I remember like eight-year-old selves, we pumped out our chest, and we were like, no, we're not. We're not going to have nightmares. We're, eight, we're grown adults. We're eight years old. <laughs> My dad said, okay. And he, he just left out of the room. He said, do what you want. He just left the room. And so my brother and I spent all day long watching episode after episode after episode of The Twilight Zone. Sun went down, it got to be nighttime. We went up to, the, to our room at my grandparents' house, crawled into bed, turned out the lights, didn't sleep a wink. As soon as those nights were off, we had, had dream after dream after dream of strange things going on in our rooms and strange people in our rooms. And we got up the next morning. In fact, it was so bad that years after that, my brother and I, we didn't even like hearing the theme song to that. And y'all know the theme song if you know that thing. Because even hearing the theme song would make our hearts race. And so we came downstairs the next day and our feet were dragging. We had bags under our eyes. My dad just said, I told you so. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, he comes and he preaches and he has a warning. He has a warning he needs to tell us today. And, and really for us, it's kind of the same principle where we need to heed what John the Baptist tells us so that one day when we do get up and we drag our feet in front of Jesus, he, we don't hear God saying, I told you so. If y'all been following around, you know that we've been going through Ephesians. We're going to take about three-week break from that just uh, to kind of get a flavor of something else. Look at Matthew chapter 3 and 4, the beginning of the life of Jesus. And this is a great place to start when we think about Jesus because these first two chapters... Uh, sorry, not the first two, but the third and fourth chapter. They set the foundation for Jesus' ministry on earth. They ask questions like, well, who is Jesus' ministry on earth? What is his purpose for being here? 
Uh, what does he want from us now that he's come to earth? All that kind of stuff. And it sets up as the foundation for everything that follows in the rest of the book of Matthew. And what's weird is Jesus' story, the story of his ministry, of course in 1 and 2 you have his birth, starting in verse 3 you have his ministry, doesn't actually even start with Jesus himself. It starts with somebody else. So let's read all of chapter 3 to start off. Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had garments of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now at that time Jerusalem was going out to him in all Judea and all the region around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. And do not assume that you can say to yourselves, well, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I am, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat to the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus arrived. From Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and yet you're coming to me. But Jesus answered said to him, Allow it this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And after he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on Jesus. Behold, a voice in the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the story of Jesus' ministry doesn't even start with Jesus himself. It starts off with this other guy, John the Baptist. Now, Matthew doesn't give the background to John the Baptist, even though we get that in a few of the Gospels. In Matthew, he just appears. He just appears as a preacher talking about the wilderness. In Matthew, in verses 3 and 4, he lets us know, Matthew speaking to a Jewish audience, lets us know this John the Baptist, who appears preaching in the wilderness, is the guy Isaiah prophesied about 500, 600 years earlier. Because the Jews knew that the Christ was coming, and they also believed that God would send a prophet like Elijah to come to prepare for the immediate arrival of the Christ. And so Matthew says, hey, that person who comes like Elijah is here. This is the guy that was prophesied 600 years earlier. Um, the problem was John was not exactly what they expected. A lot of them thought that Elijah would literally come back, that Elijah would be raised from the dead or actually come down from heaven because he didn't die. Um, but John, he was not the guy with a suit and tie on, shoes nicely polished, teeth all white and straight. In fact, John made news because John was weird. I mean, look at what it talks about him inside verses 4 and 5. I mean, his clothes were weird. 
He was dressed in camel's hair. That's what he wore walking around. Uh, that's what people wore if they wanted to show that they were the opposite of royalty. That's what Elijah wore too. He had a leather belt around his waist. He, his waist so his, he looked funny. <laughs> he ate funny stuff. Now it says he ate locusts. That probably doesn't mean he ate them raw. He probably mashed them up and baked them into cakes. But let's be honest, is that any better? <laughs> really? He ate locusts and dressed in camel's hair. Almost symbolic of his own stern uh, lifestyle reflected his stern message. And his location was weird because he wasn't in a city. He wasn't in the suburbs preaching. He went in the wilderness. Y'all know what's in the wilderness? Nobody. It's usually not a good practice to start preaching by going where nobody is and start talking. But it worked for him. And then his message was singular. He had one point to every sermon he preached. And that is repent because God's kingdom is about to come. That is the only sermon he preached every time. And so you get to verse 6. And news of this funny looking, weird eating guy preaching in the middle of the wilderness starts to spread around. But it's not just how odd he is that's starting to spread around. It's also the fact that people's lives are actually being changed. When people go out to hear him, they can tell that the power of God comes out of John when he preaches these messages. And so it says people begin to hear about John the Baptist. And all around the area, they begin flooding out of the suburbs, out of the cities, into the wilderness in order to hear this guy preaching. And look what the order is here. They confess their sins... And as they confess their sins, then he baptizes them as a sign and public sign of the fact that they've repented of their sins. But verse 7, these other guys decide they've been hearing about this dude and they want to come visit him too. And the two of the three major religious leader groups, the Pharisees and Sadducees, come out to see what all the hubbub is going on in the Judean wilderness. The tense of the word there that says for baptism doesn't mean in the Greek they came out hoping to be baptized. It's more like they came out in order to see the baptisms that were happening. In other words, they were coming out to kind of show they wanted to be a part of the group. They knew that he was popular. And they wanted to be associated with John the Baptist. But they had no desire at all to actually hear what he had to say. Repent and be baptized. They were coming to see the baptisms. They're not coming to be baptized themselves. And John sees these guys standing on the banks of the river. And in his typical, just like Elijah was like, stern, really brutally honest manner, <coughs> calls them out. And first, he calls them, he calls them out specifically by saying, you brood of vipers. Now, if I was to start off a sermon with that sentence, <laughs> I probably wouldn't catch. Now, I don't know if y'all would come back the next week if that's how I started off my sermon. I call y'all a brood of vipers. Well, that's what he did. He, he calls them out and says, you brood of vipers, probably referencing the fact that their, their version of religion was dangerous and maybe a reference to Genesis chapter 3 too. And he gives them a warning. 
in verse 8, he says, don't just say you've repented. Actually produce fruit consistent with what you say. In other words, he tells them, okay, it's great that you say you fellow God. It's great that you say you've repented. But now don't just say those things. Back that up by what you do. The next verse, he anticipates an objection. He says to him, hey, don't tell me, oh, my father was a priest and my grandfather was a priest and they built the temple and my family has always gone to the temple and I've always served as a priest myself. He says, don't tell me any of that stuff because that doesn't matter. He says, God can even make children from these own stones, which was a play on words because the Arabic word for stone is very similar to word for child. So he warns them, he sits their protection, and then he tells them, if you're going to be here and listen, you need to make the decision now. Verse 10, he, he pictures for them this idea of the Pharisees and Sadducees being trees. And he says, there's a lumberjack, there's a judge coming, and he's already grabbed the axe, and he's taking his practice swings. He says, he's taking you guys and he's marking X's and he's aiming at this axe. And he says, you need to repent now because there's a judge coming. That was his message of what repentance is. But then in verse 11 and 12, his tone changes because he begins to describe who this judge that's coming, this Christ that's coming is. And he basically says, hey, don't shoot the messenger. Because I'm just here to tell you that God's got a judge coming. He has a Christ coming. And this guy who's coming after me, he's a lot bigger than I am. He says, first, I'm not even able to untie his sandals. The lowest task a servant could do was to take care of their master's sandals. They had, uh, people who were rich would have a servant, and their task would be to take the shoes off their master, clean them, take care of the feet of the master themselves, and then carry the sandals around wherever the master went in case he wanted to put them back on. And only the lowest of the lowest servant had that job. And John says, I'm the last prophet in the form of an Old Testament prophet, and I'm not even important enough to even come close to being that kind of servant to the God that's coming after me. He says, secondly, this guy's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. John says, I'm up here preaching, and I'm baptizing people in water. But this guy after me, he's going to do more than that. He's going to have the ability to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which is what happens to you when you get saved. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit floods into your life, and that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said he'll baptize you with fire, which for a believer means God's refining work in our lives to purify us, to make us holier. But then for the unbeliever, it's God's fire word to convict us of our sins. In other words, John says, if that's how I'm compared to Jesus, how do you compare to Jesus? And then lastly, he says, this judge that's coming, this Christ that's coming, he is coming to separate people. He's coming to separate people based on what they've done with God. It says in verse, uh, verse 12 that, this winning fork is in his hand. It's already in his hand, in other words. And he is thoroughly clearing his threshing floor. When they had wheat, the wheat would be covered up with this chaff. And so what they did is they took forks and they would throw the chaff up in the air. 
And as the, chaff, the, the wheat and the chaff went in the air, the wind would take the chaff and they would blow it away because it had no fruit in it. The chaff and the wheat would look very similar, but the chaff was light because it had nothing on the inside to actually be fruitful. And so the chaff would blow away and the wheat would come back down. And he says, this person who's coming, he's coming to separate the people that look like they're following God from the people who are actually following God. And the difference is the heart. He says he's going to be able to judge our hearts. He's going to be able to know what's on the inside. And so you get this picture of John, and he's, he's baptizing people, he's preaching, he's talking to these Pharisees who obviously didn't probably like this sermon preached to them. Um, and the first picture then we get of Jesus as his ministry starts from John is not one of healer, but one of judge. And then in verse 13, the judge steps into the courtroom. It says, Jesus... He arrives in Galilee. He comes to John to get baptized. And then Matthew records, and he's the only one that records this, that John <laughs> protests. Because John knows who Jesus is. He's the last prophet, the former Old Testament prophet. He's the forerunner to the Christ. He knows exactly who Jesus is. And he says, Jesus, I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't deny that's true to him. He doesn't say you're wrong. He just says, okay, but this time allow us to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. What does he mean by baptism? His baptism fulfills all righteousness. Well, obviously, baptism doesn't remove sins because Jesus had no sins. So what does it mean that he's fulfilling all righteousness? It means that Jesus came to live the perfectly righteous life we can't live because of our sins. We've messed up. We've sinned. We've given into temptation. And part of what Jesus' life on earth was important because Jesus was fulfilling the righteous life we failed at living. And part of that was publicly identifying with God by getting baptized. It's an act of righteousness that fulfills all righteousness in us. So John does it. He, he comes in, he takes Jesus into the water. It's clear in this text, you can say he brings him into the water, and then as he's pulling up out of the water, the Trinity explodes on the scene. And you get God the Son being publicly announced and identified and commissioned by God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit appears in the form of a dove, which in the Greek doesn't mean there was an actual dove but that in some way looked like a dove. And the point was not that Jesus now was getting the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit was affirming this is the Son of God by appearing to us visibly, appearing to them visibly. And then God the Father speaks out of heaven so everybody can hear, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The judge has entered the courtroom. And that's actually an allusion to Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. One of them talking about God sending a divine king. The other one talking about God sending a suffering servant. And in that one sentence, you get the ministry of Jesus on earth. The divine king coming to earth to serve as the suffering servant on the cross. So what do we got here? We have in Jesus' baptism, not Jesus becoming God, but Jesus getting empowered divinely 
but Jesus being commissioned publicly because his ministry on earth is about to start. And the people in his ordination service, you call that, is God the Father and God the Son themselves. Because he got the Holy Spirit himself because he's God the Son. So you have the ministry of John the Baptist, Jesus' story, and his own ministry starts with John the Baptist. And John looks weird, he preaches weird, and he eats weird stuff. And his message is, you need to repent because the Son of God is coming soon. Don't, he says, don't tell me that you've repented and not show fruit about it. Don't tell me that you don't need to repent because you've always gone to church and been a Christian. He says, repent and do it now because the Son of God is coming soon. The Son of God is coming soon, so show fruit of repentance. After this passage in chapter 3, we know what happens to the rest of Jesus. That he, he does enter the room and he, he does continue to live. And Jesus lives that perfect sinless life that he started off and he talks about here. But Jesus also taught that sin deserves punishment. That our sin against God deserves God's judgment. But then Jesus also taught that God was going to make a way for us to be freed from God's judgment. And then on the cross, and Jesus on the cross, God pictured his judgment perfectly by Jesus going to the cross. Because on the cross, he took the punishment we deserve for our sins. The fact that we didn't live a perfectly righteous life, he took that upon himself on the cross. And then he was buried and died for us on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the cross in order to show that what he did is done, that it's finished, and that it's true. That's what John is talking about. So we get to this passage and we go, well, does that mean that there's nothing in this for us? Is that nothing for us today? No, that's not true. Because the Bible goes on to tell us this, that Jesus is coming back again. That Jesus is coming back a second time. And for us, then, the urgency of this passage is the same urgency for us now because we still have the Son of God coming. In fact, our urgency today is probably greater than their urgency then because when Jesus comes back again, he's not coming back again to die for our sins again. He's coming back again to save the righteous and separate the sinner. The same truth and the main takeaway for them is the main takeaway for us, and that is that the Son of God is coming soon. So bear fruit of righteousness. The key, he says, in the separation of what God's going to do is what it means to truly repent or not. Repentance means not just a verbal assent, but an actual turnaround of your head and of your, act, of your brain so you can turn around your actions. As many of you probably know, if you follow us on Facebook, um, I got to drive a tank on Friday. <laughs> now, I'll admit, I was not going to bring that up because I didn't want to make all the guys jealous. But Brenda challenged me on Facebook to include it in a sermon. And so here you go. This place is in Talladega. Um, we went up there on Friday. This was my birthday present from Ashley. And we got to this place, we walked into the office, and the, you know, the first thing they say after you pay, of course, is you need to sign this. Oh, yeah, like nothing going to be free, especially that, is you need to sign this liability waiver. Because just in case you get hurt, you're saying you're not going to sue them. And let me tell you something. Anytime you do something and their first reaction is sign this piece of paper saying you won't sue us if you get hurt, you do get a little nervous <laughs> about what you're about to do. So I signed that waiver and we go out there and 
actually climbs up into the top of the tank where the gun is. I climb up and sit down. There's a, a well where the seat is to the right side of the cannon. I squeeze myself into that thing. And the instructor climbs up on the tank with us and actually sits on the cannon itself. And he says, okay, that's the gas pedal. The two bars in front of you are like a zero turn radius lawnmower. That's how you steer. And he says, I'm going to be sitting here right with you the whole time. And I'm going to be giving you hand signals and directions. I'll tell you where to go. I'll tell you when to turn. I'll tell you if you're going too fast that you need to slow down. And just follow what I'm telling you. You'll be okay driving this tank. And so off we go. And we get to driving for a little bit. And we get to this one part of the road. And the road turns sharp to the right. And you, I can look up and see the sharp right turn. But I can't see what happens after that sharp right turn. I just see the turn itself. And the guy tells me to slow down and says, okay, do you see that old car sitting in the grass just short of that turn on the left side? That'd be y'all's on the left side. Forget that y'all are opposite of me. On the left side. He said, I want you to turn around at that car and go back. Don't make the turn. Turn around and go back. Now, I don't think he would be very happy with me if I had said okay and then drove past that car and made the right turn anyways. That wouldn't really be of any benefit to anybody. It didn't matter if I told him, okay, I want to turn around, if I actually just kept driving and made the right turn anyways. What I had to do was say, okay, and then when it came to the car came up, I actually stopped the tank, turned it around, and went back the other direction like he told me to. That's the picture of repentance. Repentance is not telling God, please forgive me my sins, even though that's a part of, of repentance. And repentance is not telling God, God, you know, I want to be better, even though that's a part of repentance. Repentance actually is not just a word. It's a, it's a deed to. It's a turning around and actually doing what God has told us to do. It's a turning your life around and going the opposite direction, not just saying, okay, God, I'm hearing you. And so John the Baptist tells us, he says, the Son of God is coming soon, so bear fruit of repentance. So that leads to four questions we and you need to ask yourself in your life today. I want to challenge you to ask yourself these four questions today. And the first of this, how much fruit of repentance are you bearing in your life today? You see, these guys, the statues and Pharisees, they appeared to John. And John knew they hadn't repented because even though they said one thing, their actions told something else. They were not any different that day than they had been any other day of their lives. And he tells them, don't just say you've repented. Prove you've repented by what you do. Bear fruit of that repentance. And the same is true for us today. If God and Christ has come into your life and he has changed your heart, prove that God has changed your heart by actually changing what you do. And the power of his name that is flowing through your life. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, like I said, when he, we get saved and he empowers us to be changed. And so if you have really, really repented, it will bear fruit in what you do. How much fruit of repentance can you show for in your life? The second question is this. Have you personally decided to follow Jesus? Because the Pharisees and Sadducees, John knew what they were going to say to him. They would have said something like this. How dare you, John, tell me about, call me a, a brood of vipers? 
How dare you tell me that? How dare you tell me I need to repent? Don't you know what I've done in my life? John, we're, we're Pharisees and Sadducees. We grew up going to church. My dad was a priest. My grandfather was a priest. My, they helped build the temple. I've gone to church every day of my life. How dare you tell me I need to repent? And John says, that's not repentance. And the same happened for us today. We can look and say, I'm a Christian because I live in a Christian country. Or I'm a Christian because I have a Christian family. Or I'm a Christian because I go to church. And that's not repentance. Repentance is a personal decision to turn your life over to God. To ask for his forgiveness and say, I am following Jesus. And so the question he has for us is, are you a Christian because your family was a Christian? Or are you a Christian because you personally have decided to follow Jesus? That's the second question. The third question is this. Have you been baptized? Look, why Jesus got baptized. Look what happened here. And earlier it says, as the people confessed their sins, then they were baptized. And then Jesus, he comes to get baptized. What's the point going on here? What's, what is baptism? We, obviously, baptism is not how you get saved because Jesus didn't need to get saved. If, Jesus, if baptism is to save you, then Jesus had no reason to be baptized. Baptism is not how you get saved. Baptism is a public announcement of what God has already done in your heart. It's you publicly identifying in front of people that you are following Jesus. And Jesus says that is an act that fulfills all righteousness in your life. And if Jesus felt like that was something he needed to do, you do too. And look at what he talks about. What is this baptism? The word baptism literally means to dunk underwater. It was used of washing your hands or washing a plate in a bowl. It was used of ships after they had gotten sunk under the water. And even in this passage, it says that Jesus came up out of the water. So have you been baptized by immersion after being saved? It's important. It's important enough to Jesus. It should be important to you. So the first three questions are, how much fruit of righteousness can you show for in your life? The second one is, have you personally decided to follow Jesus? The third is, have you been baptized? And the first, fourth is, are you ready for Jesus to come today? Because listen to what John, the words John says to these guys, is still applies for us. Verse 10, and the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 12, his winning fork is already in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, though he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The Bible says that Jesus is coming back again. And he says this too. He said Jesus is going to come back when you are not ready for it, when you're least expecting it to happen. So are you ready for Jesus to come again? It says that later in the book of Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, be on the alert, for you don't know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming. He would have been on the alert and would not allow his house to be broken. But for this reason, you must be ready as well. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. You know, don't say like this repentance following Jesus thing is good. 
but I'm going to wait a little bit. I want to think about this a little bit more. You know, I've got, I've got my whole life, you know, especially young people, I've got my whole life I can live, and I'm just going to do that first, and I can follow Jesus later. That, listen to the urgency of this. You don't know if you have your whole life you can live. You don't know when you're going to meet Jesus. You don't, he could come back today. He could come back in the next few minutes. You just don't know. So he says, are you ready now for Jesus to come back? Repent now because the judge and the Christ is coming. And he's going to come when you're least ready for him to do it. So be on the alert. John the Baptist, he preached a message that we need to hear today, and that is that the Son of God is coming, so bear fruit of repentance. By asking yourself, am I bearing fruit? Have I made a personal decision? Have I been baptized? And am I ready today to answer to him for all of that? The next few moments, I'll pray and give you a chance to respond and think about those questions and respond to God personally for that. Maybe God is speaking to your heart saying, hey, I'm not bearing fruit according to repentance like I should. And you need to speak to God during that time. Ask Him to forgive you for that. Repent of that. These seats will be open. This stage is open. If you want to come kneel, I'll be down here. I'd love to help you. Maybe you realize I need to be baptized. I'd love to talk to you about that. That's one of my favorite things to do. Walk down the aisle and speak to you. Or maybe you realize today, or on your online, you said, I've always thought I was a Christian because I just always went to church and my family, that's what they are. But I've never actually placed a faith in Jesus. Do that today. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about how you can do that. I'd love to speak more about you. If you're online, you can comment below. Go to Greensport Baptist Church at gmail.com. I'd love to answer you there. But you respond as God is speaking to your heart today. Dear God, thank you for giving this passage and for this uh, reminder of who you are. Lord, the, the book of Matthew is so encouraging at times and displaying your mercy and your grace, but it's also a reminder that. As merciful and gracious you are, God, you are also someone who takes sin seriously, Lord. And we are thankful that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So we don't have to be held accountable for him, God, but we can place our faith in him and be forgiven of that. And Lord, I pray that we would be people that don't just say that we repent, but we would be people that actually do that. And if there's anyone here that needs to make a decision to follow you and take the next step of that in their life, they would do that today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.